Welcome to Daybreak Devotions, a podcast version of the daily radio ministry of the McLeansville Baptist Church with your host, Pastors Mike Barnett and Corey Cantrell. And we welcome you back to Daybreak Devotions on this Thursday morning, and we're excited to be here because now we're only 24 hours away from Friday Funday. That's right. It's going to be a lot of fun this Friday. I hope so. You know, I got some feedback the other day from one of our regular Daybreak Devotions listeners that was kind of surprised that last Friday... There was no fun. There was no fun day in Friday. Well, I'm sorry to hear that. To which I told him, fret not, we'll be back, but... You know, the the content of last Friday's discussion didn't really lend to so Friday Funday. Instead of Friday Funday, it was Fret Not Friday. Yeah, something like that. All right. Well, Fret Not Friday is coming up, or Friday Funday, whichever. But it's Thursday now, and we are back in Psalm 119, verses 97 through 104. And where we left off yesterday was really kind of closed off by saying that to do this, which is, okay, so the, the point of this section we said, is this increasing desire to grow in sanctification and in consecration to God's Word. So we want to grow in our sanctification for for God's use and, and our life with God, and that comes by an increasing consecration to God's Word. And where we left off yesterday is by saying that this takes more than lip service. This takes some actual doing on our part. You know, i I had thought about reading the passage or referring to the passage yesterday, and I didn't, but it comes back to me now. This is a big one. Here in the church this year, now, I, I'll be honest with you, I say that, and I haven't actually done a lot with it, um, but this text in Second Peter chapter 1, to the point of if we're going to grow this way, there's personal responsibility on our part. Second Peter chapter 1 says, "...whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises." that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith. And the list goes on of all the things that we add to our faith, in which he closes it out by saying in verse 4, that if you do these things and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so, there's that challenge. It's consistent through Scripture that for us to live a holy and devout life, we have responsibility in that, and really that's what these verses are going to unpack for us. This is, I think, equal parts um, encouraging and, I don't know the word that I'm looking up for, but intimidating maybe, to understand that, okay, this whole sanctification process isn't going to just accidentally happen. I have some responsibility in that. And I think that's the intimidating part because, you know, oh, man, I don't, I'll make sure I don't neglect my duty and responsibility. But I think the encouraging part of it is is that this is something that I get to team up with God in. Like, this is, this is a way that we are partnered together in this. I'm not just a, a, a bystander that's just waiting on something to hopefully magically happen, but, but I literally get to be a co-laborer together with Christ in what he's doing in my life. You get to get in his yoke. Yes. Which I kind of feel like he probably does most of the pulling. Absolutely he does. You know, because if left to ourselves, I mean, that's kind of what got us into this predicament to begin with. Well, I suspect that if we were left to ourselves and we were only one person in a double yoke, 
the way we would be pulling is into a circle. If we were even pulling at all. <laughs> Which is what Israel did in the wilderness. Yeah. And sometimes we, we think about that, even in the church today, how many people are just like the Israelites in the wilderness, walking in circles and not going over into that promised land. This is the way you move into the promised land, uh, so to speak, in our Christian life. And yeah, we're out of Egypt. We've been delivered from the uh, penalty of sin and, and the bondage of sin. Uh, we, we should be completely free from the power of sin in our life, but but the battles are still there. But some people just never want to step across that Jordan River into the uh, yep. promised land. But how do we get there? Well, we get there. Everything we've referred to so far, and of course the context of Psalm 119 just over and over again says it, but it's connected to God's Word. Without God's Word, we are going to struggle to get anywhere in life. It's going to feel like we're just running in circles. Yes. Oh, it's time to go to church again. Weren't we just at church? Whew. Well, we had this conversation. You know, you don't want a preacher to go more than about 40 minutes or, you know, that's just a little bit excessive. Yeah, then you know, we got stuff to do. I mean, I got I got a busy Sunday. I mean, this is all great, fine, well, and good, but, I mean, I got places to be. Now, I'll be the first one to admit that I've heard some, you know, quote, preachers that four minutes was about all I could take. <laughs> but if the preacher is literally helping you and giving you the the Word of God that if listen to and applied is going to help you make progress in your journey, then by all means, sit there and receive it as long as it's coming. And if the bucket gets full, just get another bucket. And I think that goes back to something that we talked about yesterday out of verse 102, for thou hast taught me. That's that's the, the differentiating factor right there. If I'm listening to a guy that's giving me just a bunch of personal stories and a bunch of his opinion and a bunch of his thoughts and his you know, interpretation of things. There's some goodness in that for a little while, but eventually it's like, okay, guy, I got it. Let God's people go, Pharaoh. But if somebody is giving me not his words, but he's giving me his gleanings from God's word, and so he is in turn bringing me into the presence of God and the word of God and the instruction of God, now all of a sudden he is ceasing to be my teacher, but God is my teacher. He is the one that is his word speaking through his man applied into my heart and life. Well, now all of a sudden we're entering into a different ball game. If I'm in my 15th personal illustration about meeting the, the some preachers at Cracker Barrel for lunch yep. and, you know, and and a wouldn't you know it story, <laughs> I'm not really getting anywhere and I'm no. not helping anybody and, you know, I do have other things I could be doing besides listening to that. Right. The best preachers, the most influential Ministers of God's Word have always been the ones, not that they didn't have personal stories, but those personal stories literally were ways of explaining or showing in real life what they just taught from the Scriptures. Yes. But they were Bible-centered, Bible-centric uh, teaching, and that's what we need. Like, this is what Scripture said. This is what I'm preaching to you. Now let me show you how that played out in real time in my own life. Oh, Okay. I can now draw connections and correlations to my own personal life. That's beneficial and helpful. Well, kind of jumping ahead, because I'll come back to it in a moment, but the very first verse of the section says, Oh, how love I thy law. It is my meditation all the day. Now, I'll give you $10 for every person you can lasso and bring in here that could say with some measure of truth and integrity that God's word is their meditation all the day. And I don't even mean that it has to be every second of every hour, but they could literally say with integrity, 
my day is given to meditating on and learning God's Word. I don't think you could fill this room up with the people that we know right now that we would just, you know, think maybe. I mean, I don't want to be... I don't want to be presumptuous, and I don't want to be negative about that. And I guess I should back up the statement by saying something I've been saying a lot lately, not on the radio, but just in our conversations, that we can't throw stones at the church. We have to teach people. Yes. Because a lot of people wouldn't even, if they were honest, they'd say, well, I don't even know how to do that. How do I meditate on that all day when I've got a job to do, children to take care of, groceries to buy? How do I met? Well, Here's the good news. There is a way for this to become your life, but it does require that personal responsibility on your part. It's things like this. So how, how does it become real to us? Well, number one, intentionality. We keep throwing that word out there. So it's not just going to happen. You've got to be intentional. Pa- Peter uses that word diligence, giving all diligence. But to be the kind of person that can see God, Matthew 5, 8, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. To be the kind of person that is drawing nigh to God, James 4, 8. That's the invitation. Draw nigh to God, he will draw nigh to you. The kind of person obeying the truth that they have been given. You know, Peter talks about that in 1 Peter chapter 2. Letting the living hope that we all have in Christ have and work its purifying effect on us. 1 John 3. You know, he that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. And there's another verse that I thought about on that idea right there of how hope works in us, living in the hope. It's, it's Hebrews chapter 7, Hebrews seven nineteen. For the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did, by the which we draw nigh to God. So it's the kind of person that allows that living hope to have its purifying effect on us. As in, that kind of person, rather than the kind of person who resists it and undermines what God is trying to do in their life. Having said all that, I made a note in my, as I was jotting down my thoughts from this section, what helps us to perfect? Now, let me give a, a scripture to that. Yesterday I read 2 Corinthians 7, 1, how that we're being, to be perfecting holiness in the fear of God. But then remember what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5 uh, in, in the course of the Sermon on the Mount. He says, Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. So the call on our life is to be perfect. And that, back to what you were saying, can sound very intimidating. Mm-hmm. I just try to put myself in the, in the pew to the listener of a preacher that's, re- that's preaching that verse and calls it out. Jesus said that we're to be perfect, even as our Father in heaven is perfect. And we're going to think, that doesn't even seem possible. Yeah. Is perfect possible? That's the question. I mean, and obviously, it is, because I think there's something that we've got to understand. God does not give us a command or instructions to do something that we're incapable of doing. Now, there's going to be keys to it, and there's going to be a way in which it's done, which is what we have been, you know, that's that's the way of the devout heart. But perhaps... Our our notion or our idea of what the perfection is talking about has been jaded to the point that it's unrealistic and unattainable. So what is it that we're actually being instructed about? Well, I appreciate you doing the uh, representation of the person sitting in the pew. You're thinking it out. Okay, this has got to be right, and that's number one. Are we accepting that God's Word is true? Well, then we got to deal with our 
misconceptions, all right? We hear the word perfect, and we think of flawless, sinless, getting it right all the time. Because God does that. That's God, and we think about God being perfect. Well, he's sinless. He's flawless. But that's not the, the meaning of what Jesus is saying. What Jesus is describing there is that we would have a life that is complete, that is whole. Remember, the whole intent behind this, what God is doing in the life of every believer is he is bringing us into wholeness. He is perfecting us. And so to be perfect is not sinless perfection, but one who is perfect or perfecting when they sin will do what is right from the, from the aspect of a person being made whole. They will confess. They won't live in that sin. They won't continue in that sin. I, I shared this with uh, some of the preachers in the church the other day. It comes back to my mind. Did you see the quote by C.S. Lewis? This was in the, it was published in letters of C.S. Lewis, but to the extent of what about when we fail? You know, what about when we mess up? What about if I mess up more than I care to think about? Well, I like what Lewis said. He said, no amount of falls will really undo us if we keep on picking ourselves up each time. Now, I want to go ahead and make a disclaimer. I can't pretend to read Lewis's mind. But you know how we are in our traditional way of thinking. We say, well, I don't pick myself up. That's the grace of God that picks us up. Okay, I got it, but personal responsibility. And to that point, yes, it's God that picks us up, but we can also choose to stay down on ourselves and beat ourselves up for, oh, I'm such a loser, I'm such a failure. Oh, yeah, yeah. When God in heaven is trying to be like, I'm trying to pick you up from here. I'm trying to give you grace and lift you out of this. Quit dragging yourself back into a place that I pulled you up out of. All right, so come back to the quote. No amount of falls will really undo us if we keep on picking ourselves up each time. We shall, of course, be very muddy and tattered children by the time we reach home. But the bathrooms are all ready, the towels put out, and the clean clothes in the airing cupboard. The only fatal thing is to lose one's temper and give it up. It is when we notice the dirt that God is most present in us. It is the very sign of his presence. So when we talk about being made perfect in Christ... And one of the, the marks of someone who is being made perfect is that they're more aware of their sin than they've ever been before. So the person who is really being perfected is the person who's most aware of their lack of perfection. I guess that'd be a fair way to say it. I think so. Now, back to my question, my little side note. What helps us perfect? Have you ever thought about that? Like scripturally speaking, I mean, I, I didn't put that in front of you before. I just said it now. Well, I got thinking about that. So we're, we're supposed to be made perfect. And a couple of verses came to mind. So what I did, I started jotting down uh, a few things. And I ended up writing down four things. And I, I did it good. I alliterated it and everything. All right? But the number one thing I thought of that helps to make us perfect are our pastors. Right? Mm-hmm. Ephesians chapter 4 tells us that our pastors help us in this process of perfecting Ephesians 4.11, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. I want to say something. I'm a pastor. I might be a little biased, but I haven't always been a pastor and I've always believed this, at least to some degree. And I, I say that because, obviously, being a pastor, I appreciate it more now. I know sometimes we go out of town and we're going to go to church somewhere else and whatnot. 
<clears throat> things call us. But given the option, if you choose to just neglect hearing your pastor to go hear somebody else when you had an option, a choice, I would say that my estimation, the vast overwhelming majority of the time, that's a bad move. No one, no preacher is more invested in your wellness and is more real-time in what God is trying to do in your life as a part of that local church than your pastor is. Sure. And I believe that we hinder ourselves and undercut, cut our legs out from under us when we are not giving our pastor the attention that we should be giving him. That And again, let me just say, that's because this is God's plan, not because that man is the greatest thing that ever walked on the earth. Yes, we have unfortunately adopted the mentality that, well, preaching's preaching. And if a man is open in God's Word and he's preaching God's Word, man, you can get help from anybody. And that sounds good, and there is a little bit of measured truth in that. I mean, anybody, you know, God's Word's not going to return void. But when we have that kind of a flippant attitude and we intentionally or unintentionally overlook and neglect the clear principles that God has put in place of, look, this is your under-shepherd. This is somebody that I am giving food and nourishment to, to in turn feed you. Well, you can't get mad at God when you're starving and not as nourished as you should be when you've chosen to go away from his source of feeding you. Yeah, I think the healthiest people in, in any culture in the world. Now, this is just me sort of shooting from the hip again based on prior reading over the years. But some of the healthiest cultures are those people that live in places that ain't America. Can I say it that way? Where they're basically eating the same kind of food every day, sometimes two, three times a day, it's the same thing. Like it's just staple food that's part of their natural, their region, what they grow, what they hunt. Those cultures have less malnutrition type issues. In other words, less uh, diseases, uh, less heart disease, less obesity, all those things. They just have this consistent diet. That's what I'm trying to say. Versus here in America, most people don't have a very consistent diet. The consistency of their diet is their inconsistency. Mm-hmm. Well, that translates right over into the way that you just described we consume preaching and worship and, and the Word of God. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to head over to this restaurant today. Uh, hey, Friday night, let's go over and get some Mexican. Oh, hey, Tuesday night, we're going to go over for Zimbabwean or whatever, you know. There's no consistency. Well, that's dumb. What, what does that matter? Well, all I can say is the facts speak for themselves. Nobody has near the physical and health issues as we rich, overly abundant with option Americans. And I think the same can be said about our churches. Sure. Because we haven't learned how to take a consistent diet of the Word of God that is being given to us in our place in real time, and it's hurt us. I am becoming more and more aware that I think if there was a verse that applied so much to the American church, it's they have heaped to themselves teachers having itching ears. We we live in such a have-it-your-way society where we just we find the guy that's, that's tickling what it is that we're looking for. Maybe, maybe we have a, a natural interest in... This is the hot button, you know, end time prophecy thing. So what do we do? We choose to listen to guys that, boy, I'm telling you what, they really know a lot about Daniel and the book of Revelation, and I enjoy listening to them. Okay, that's great. There might be some value there, but if that's the only thing that you're getting, 
that's like a very narrow-minded diet. You know, there's there's a lot of other stuff that you need that to come back to the point that you're that you've been dealing with. God is giving your pastor. This is this is what you need. This this is the vitamin and the minerals and the nutrients that you need right now. Okay, a month from now, this is what you need. Well, not only our pastors, but here's the second thing that helps us in the perfecting process. And and the responsibility with our pastors is be there. Come ready to learn, you know, not just to endure until the sermon's over. Yeah. Come ready to learn. Be taught. But the second thing is the word pursuit, okay? And I take that from Philippians chapter 3, where Paul says in Philippians 3.12, Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. I haven't got there. I haven't arrived, as we say. But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, whether success or failure, that was yesterday, and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us, therefore, as many as be perfect, and let me say it this way, as many of us as who are intending to be perfect or perfected, be thus minded, and if anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. So Paul says, one of the things that's helping me perfect in, in my life with God is I am in hot pursuit of this thing. I am giving my all. It's the one thing I do. So let's think about that a moment. Could we define our lives in, that, in those terms and say the one thing that I am doing with my life, whatever my schedule holds today, whatever's going to be required of me, it's all going to fall under the auspices of one thing. I am in a diligent pursuit of knowing God more, perfecting. So there's the pastors, there's the pursuit. By the way, we're there, so let's just unpack that just a, a minute here. What, what, what is required in pursuit? How do we diligently pursue this perfection? I don't know if something comes to your mind, but it brings me all the way back to our text in Psalm 119. Because this is a guy that's meditating in it all day long. Mm -hmm. He's got this constancy in the Word of God. And his greatest appreciation in his life is the reward that God's Word brings to him. That's what he describes all the way down through verse 100. Well, I've got two more things. I'm going to try to give those before we end today. The next one we've actually spent a lot of time on last, last week or week before. I don't remember, but I, I wrote down the word passion. So that's keeping the P's. But see if you can tell what I mean. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7 through 10, Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. But the God of all grace, who hath called us into his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while... Make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. Pretty obvious, isn't it? When I say passion, I'm talking about the suffering that God allows to come into our life. When you talk about perfecting in your faith, perfecting in life with God, this will not happen without suffering. Mm -hmm. And yet, as we talked about before, we try so hard to avoid suffering. All of us, it's human nature. You know, go, going back to the whole back problem and the headaches and all that, we, 
we want it to be over as soon as it, we can. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. Like some of this stuff is just we live in a, a fallen world with aching, fallen bodies, and it's just annoying pains, right? But every bit of our suffering can be redeemed for our perfecting if we allow it, if we let it bring us to God. If we do what verse 7 says where we're casting our care on him because he cares for us, we're building the relationship with God through our suffering. And God takes that suffering and uses that affliction to chip away at our life, to form us and fashion us, to use these words, to perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle us. And so learning to enter into that, patience is developed through this time of suffering. And patience will make us a, a better follower, a more Christ-like person. I think it's glorious to think about how God turns the devil's work right back on him. Mm-hmm. And that's what that passage, passage is teaching us. So I got one more. I'll throw that out there. Uh, in, in terms of what helps us in this process of perfecting, we've got our pastors, we've got our pursuit, we've got the passion or suffering, and then lastly, we've got the purging. And that takes us back to 2 Corinthians 7, 1 that I mentioned earlier, where Paul says, um, having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves. Now that's an important phrase because it brings the on, onus yep. back on us. The personal responsibility of the church, people around the church have been hearing me say the PR. Here's the PR, people. It is cleanse ourselves. That word cleanse there comes from the word catharizo, which means we, we think about the catheters. The you know Someone's going to have a heart catheter. They're going to clean out the pipes in the heart. they got to get it clean, and that's what God is saying. You've got to cleanse yourselves. If you go to James chapter 4, boy, there's that strong preaching from James where he says, he says in James chapter 4, verse number 8, draw nigh to God, he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. I think it's interesting that it starts with the hands. It starts with that, look at your outside activity, what's going on there. You see the wrongness of that. Well, you know where that's coming from? Out of the heart proceed mm-hmm. these things. And so Jesus himself will deal with that when he he tells us that. And he gets on to the Pharisees in Matthew 23, and he says, you know what? Your problem is, is you you do clean the outside of the cup and the platter, but take a look on the inside. Yep. You got to purify the inside of you. So we we work on the outward actions, but we're working into the heart also. We that's where this stuff is originating from. So the purging, which is a personal responsibility on our part, to take a look at our life and say, what is cluttering up the life flow of Jesus in my soul? I need to get that stuff cleansed out and and, you, and cut it out because. It's not going to go away. If, if Once it's identified that this is a problem, if we don't deal with it, it's just going to continue to perpetuate and become a bigger and bigger problem. We have to take action. I know it's cliche. Say it real quickly. But we've heard about that, that dynamite power of the Holy Spirit. But the Word of God has that dynamite power. And it's just like get in there and blow the... You know, you ever you ever seen a beaver dam? Them things can be really trouble. And you get in there and you just blow them things up so the water can flow again. That's what we got to do. Absolutely. And we thank you for joining us on today's program. We hope that you'll tune in with us each and every day right here on Daybreak Devotions as Pastor Mike and I will discuss various topics in God's Word. If you've got any questions, comments, we would love to hear from you at daybreakdevotion at gmail.com.